Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with Dr. Sam Rakshit. He is the co-founder and CEO of award-winning sexual health company called Mystery Vibe. Their mission is to make sexual health accessible to all across all ages, genders, and orientations. In his role as CEO of Mystery Vibe, he focuses on pushing the boundaries of R&D, customer experience, and supporting the long-term goal of making sexual health an integral part of our overall health. Sam passionately believes that by empowering people with actionable knowledge and purposeful innovation is the way to make this happen. Sam, thank you for being on the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. You are the first sexual health company I've had on this show, but it was very interesting. Um, the rep through uh, Kitcaster just reached out and he was like, hey, I got somebody that knows R&D, knows this stuff, knows go-to-market strategies, like effective go-to-market strategies. And I was like, hey, this, and, and they, they just easily patched in customer experience. And I'm like, you know what? I need to have him on the show. So the first question out of the gate, because you've got an interesting background, is I love origin stories. I think everybody loves origin stories. The Avengers, DC Comics, Marvel, <laughs> never. But would love to know, why, yeah, why did you start Mystery God? Um, so my background is biomedical. I did my PhD in ophthalmology, working on iris cameras, building an uh, eye recognition system. So that's what I know. That's what I've studied. And obviously, I, I just love working with doctors and creating devices. With sexual health, my the, the way I got into it is after I finished my PhD, I spent a few years in consulting. And a lot of the chat back in the this is almost 20 years ago, a lot of the chat was about major life events like childbirth and menopause. And what do you do after that? How do you recover? How do you have that mystery in the bedroom? How do you have sex again after pain, dryness, or with aging, erection issues, et cetera? And these are things you talk about amongst friends, especially you know in consulting, we used to stay in hotels a lot and there wasn't really much to do in the evenings. Um, but no one talked about it publicly. No one talked about it in the press. Uh, like they do today, um, but there wasn't anything. So I thought it's an area I do want to get back, you know, to my core, which is biomedical. Um, and this particular area of health seemed the most underserved and yet the most prevalent. Like every single woman will have menopause. It's unavoidable. And um, two in three women will have a child and one in seven men will have prostate cancer. Like it's so common. And how come no one talks about it? So, yeah, so that's how uh, Mystery Web started 10 years ago. I love it. And here's the interesting thing is that you you identified your go-to-market right away, almost your product market fit by just talking to your immediate like doctor friends and colleagues and this, that kind of stuff where you, I think that's where the amazing thing about entrepreneurs is, like you are a true entrepreneur in the sense that you found the most scalability within the most under underserved. And it's it's interesting, um, just even in the world and just in um, like first world countries is that we don't talk about sexual health. It's kind of taboo to talk about certain things. Um, and now it's becoming more prevalent as different generations are assuming um, more roles and that kind of stuff. But that's more of a like a geopolitical, other things kind of going on with that. But would love to know more of, you know, your take on your R&D side in the sense that how did you take a product from R&D or research and development to product market fit 
and then to go to market fit without losing that customer experience and out, without losing that focus of making sure that you are serving the unserved. Oh, over a very long time. Um, the, the sad reality is it is a very slow process with med devices. Um, so we started in you know, 2013, started, um, we, we started building our lab. That was basically step one before we, went, we started putting a lab together, getting the team together, working with industrial engineers. Then um, a lot of back and forth, you know, we didn't really know. There wasn't any precedence like, oh, you know, let's base it on this device and make it better. It was literally, uh, and just to give you an example, there, pelvic pain, very common thing after childbirth. The therapy is two fingers. So our requirement from the doctors was, can you make it? Like how to make something with bends like two fingers? And that was it. That was the requirement. And then, you know, be very long and bendy and that the patient can easily use and reach wherever they need to reach or the doctor can easily use and reach wherever they need to reach to deliver vibrations. I'm like, okay, that is the requirement. And then a few years later, uh, and like, okay, I think we have been something which is human testable. Then go through compliance, right? Um, because you can't really do any trans without that. And the irony is, it's a lot of time, money, uh, you know, an effort to get to that point where it's a fully compliant device that a person can use. Then you go through the trials and then you find out, nah, it doesn't actually work. Oh, maybe it works. doesn't work that well. So you go back to the drawing board and rebuild the whole thing. Yeah. That happens to every single one of our products. Like we don't even assume anymore that the first product that we trial will be the product that goes to mass market. So then, you know, another year, two years later, you're like, okay, I think I'm pretty confident now. You go run a little trial, like, mm, it's better, it could be better. You know, maybe another year, another couple of years, like seven years in, like, oh, now it's solid. Like, our goal is minimum 80% benefit. And then we are ready to send it out. So we are currently are, uh, it's like 95% uh, in terms of less than 5% people uh, do not benefit. So, so we're really happy. But the challenge is to get to that point is a very slow process. And it is one of those things you can't speed up because there is nothing in there you can avoid. You have to build it. You have to comply. You have to do the trial, get the feedback, and then start again, do it again and again. And, and sometimes you get lucky and it's less years. Sometimes it takes longer. So the honest answer is it's a very slow process. So uh, then once it is, let's say seven years in, once it's a really solid product, you've done the trial and the trial shows, like with the device I'm talking about, Prescendo, it showed a 5x improvement in pain within 12 weeks of using three times a week, which is significant. Never, nothing like that ever been done before. And then you're pretty much guaranteed that the rest is easy. Because once you get that kind of results, and then it got published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine. So after that, it's just a matter of letting the doctors know so the way we do that is being in every medical conference, urology, gynecology, pelvic pain, et cetera. We give the devices for free. The doctors try it. The patients try it. Uh, they get excited about the benefits. They tell other doctors. So the rest is actually really straightforward. The, the real challenge is getting to the point where it's significantly effective for a huge percentage of the population, of the patient population. And then... 
let's say you can think of it as drug discovery. You know, it might take you 10 years, maybe 15 years to get to a point. All, and you haven't even left the lab yet, where you're trying to figure out something, let's say migraine, okay, pills. And you do it and you finally get to a point where 80% benefit. Then the rest is easy. Right. So the rest is distribution. So, so that's, the, that's the peculiarity of devices. It's a very slow process. But once you get there, the distribution is pretty straightforward. Well, you're, you're highlighting something that, um, you know, going on the software side of things, like there's, there's releases, there's, you know, ver there's versions of things and, and the public is already getting used to that, but with actual physical products and different things that are attuned to your body and that kind of stuff too, like you have to go through that, that test of like, how, how does this affect this and all these different variables. But it's very interesting how you're kind of going about that because you're doing that um, already even before you go to go to market or even have like you already kind of understand the product market fit. Um, but then you're trying to like hone in on that of like getting the most amount of people. Is it 80 percent? Is it 90 percent? Is it 95 percent? Like what is that? What are those capabilities as well as you're also hearing to government and health and other compliance issues kind of going through that. And so, yeah, there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of it's a slow process that you've mentioned. Yeah, but then once you're ready, it's like, here, go to market and then here, doctors, and you, and you already know your distribution channels, which is really cool. But more so is, you know, and I think we can we can dial in it a little bit more is, you know, with your background and research and different things. And, you know, as you're going and tooling and you're, you know, spending seven, 10, maybe 15 years on different products and, and you know, what's your your mindset in the sense of like when you do finally get to distribution to these doctors, how do you what are some things that you and your team kind of think about in the sense of, you know, messaging or how to art, like how to showcase the product in order for them to use it as well as they come back and like, Hey, we, we need to buy more because more people really love this. Yes. Uh, I'll answer that just before I'll add one thing you said, it's really relevant and a good example of why people shouldn't release hardware before it's ready is the comparison between Google Glass and Apple's new glasses. Well, I forgot what it's called, Vision Pro. Yeah. So Google Glass came out. They were way ahead of the curve. It was incredible. Um, but they launched it. I think it was like a $2,000 product 10 years ago. Lots of money for something the battery lasted maybe 40 minutes. So it was great as a concept, but it tanked commercially because no one wanted to pay $2,000 for a 40-minute battery life, right? Because you literally leave your house and, and then you have to come back. So what they could have done is send it out to reviewers and testers and get feedback and kept improving it till it was ready, uh, which is exactly what Apple did so 10 years later, and they still haven't released it. Um, and they are going to charge similar, I think, probably $3,000. And people will pay for it because they will get the full experience that they expect from a device when they pay that kind of money. So, but Apple probably had something 10 years ago, but they're like, why would I release this? It's silly to even release that. So, so hardware doesn't work like software. You can't release it and figure it out after you released it. Once you release and people paid for it, that's it. You know, it's kind of make or break. Um, 
So, uh, and with med devices, obviously, it's much worse in terms of it has to be regulated and compliant and all of that. So, um, so yeah, really, really important point you made there. Uh, the um, the question about messaging is incredibly pertinent with sexual health, and there we have two brands. So we have Mistrevi, which is a consumer centric brand, and we have MySexMD, which is the doctor centric brand. And it's actually 80-20. 80% of people who are struggling with sexual health issues do not go to a doctor. They don't want to talk about it, even to themselves or their partners, you know, whether it's erection issues, pain issues, dryness issues. People suffer in silence and don't talk about it. And, and the 20% who do go to a doctor, obviously, you know, it's much easier because the doctor says, hey, this is a medical device which will help you. And that's very simple. We don't even have to get involved in that scenario. But the place where we get involved with lots of content, lots of messaging, lots of writing is on educating people and even basic things like what is the pelvic floor? Like for a guy, for example, what is male pelvic floor? Why does it matter? You know, how can incontinence be avoided as you get older? Uh, what is the prostate? Where is it? What can you do to reduce your chances of prostate cancer? Um, what, what happens with um, stress and how can and stress leads to the biggest form of erectile dysfunction, which is called psychogenic. It's 40% of all ED. Um, and it's purely uh, in the mind, in the sense that you have, you know, maybe work stress or anxiety stress. And how do you deal with that? So a lot of it is purely knowledge and purely education, uh, which is obviously very difficult to find if you don't know where to look. So that's a big part of what we do. And the messaging on Mystery Five is very much about improving what you already have. It's not about fixing a problem. So my sex MD is medical, where it is very much, uh, if you think of it as a triage, you come in, you figure out what is it, talk to a specialist or read the right medical pages, and you're like, okay, I have, I think I have this problem or uh, an issue, and I want to deal with it. So that's quite binary. With Mr. Vibe, we do not, or we try to not talk about it that way. We try to talk about it as maybe you already have a great bedroom, a great intimacy or great uh, self-pleasure. Do you want to improve it? Do you want to make it better? It's like going to the gym to build up your muscles, you know, and doing um, mental exercises to improve your brain. So it's to say that you're already great. Be better. Yeah. Um, so that's the distinct difference between, uh, and it's quite nuanced in sexual health because it's not something you would need to do in, say, cancer. Um, just under the healthcare area, yes, but very different. Because if you are looking for solutions to cancer, you simply go to a doctor and the doctor will say, okay, this is the solution, let's just do it. There's no beating about it. There's no, you're not going to stay at home and hide, right? Whereas with, let's say, erectile dysfunction, you're like, oh, maybe I don't need to talk to anyone. I don't need to tell anyone. It will go away and it will be fine. Yeah, it's very different. You don't think like that when you have diabetes or cancer or heart disease. You're like, oh, you know, first thing you do is call a doctor. So, and that's a big part of what we're trying to achieve is how do we normalize it? So you think, okay, you know, I have a problem. I'm going to call a doctor. I get it sorted. It's like pelvic pain after childbirth. Uh, if you see a therapist, it only takes a few months and then you'll be pain free. But if you do nothing, one in two women have pelvic pain after two years, that's a long time, right? So it's purely about seeking help, being very, um, you know, accepting of the fact that sexual health just is a health issue. Mm -hmm. and, and you hit it on the, in the sense of being purely knowledge and, and education of just knowing their own bodies and just knowing and accessing 
and different things like that of just knowing what they're what they, what they're capable of in the sense that yeah it's it's but there's still a stigma in the sense of like you know you are and everything else can is very much like life-threatening and if some it's, it's life-threatening then they're like i'm going to take more notice or the media takes more notice versus you know sexual health in the sense that it's not about the um it was a great analogy i heard from a a um a former uh, guest in the sense he was a physical therapist um chiropractor he was like it's about the the wick of your candle going down but a lot of people don't focus on the brightness of the the actual flame and i feel like sexual health is the brightness of the actual flame it, it only adds to it in the sense of the day in day out of having a good life um and, and achieving that so no that's more growth here yeah. yeah that's a great story yeah um, but no more growing questions here, but want to kind of know more on your share your story in the sense of, was there any like feedback from doctors or have you, have you heard from, you know, reviews on for, with, you know, customer reviews from the product or different things of how it might've changed, um, people's lives or things that you learned as your team in the sense of this is good messaging and, or great messaging. This is, you know, good messaging or, or different things that you've tried just to kind of educate people in the world in the sense of, you know, actual physical product R&D is very complicated. And what are some kind of lessons that you've learned, especially as it relates to marketing, messaging, customer experience, you know, anything in that, you know, area in the sense of like the floor is yours in the sense of uh, what you want to talk about with about Mystery Vibe? So the biggest thing, obviously, we know we get very exciting feedback about, you know, like people being able to get pregnant again, people being able to uh, have pain free sex, um, erection, ejaculation, et cetera. But the, I would say the biggest thing I want to share here is my lesson learned is how to simplify, constantly look for ways to simplify the product and the experience as we get more mature in our engineering and design and hide more of the tech from the user and make it seamless, make it beautiful. And, and, and that's the biggest lesson I learned. And I'll give you a couple of examples to bring it to life, but and that's the biggest lesson I've learned in the last 10 years is truly listening to the users. And one example is buttons. So when we first started, we wanted everything to be very slim, uh, very sleek, but the buttons were flush, so you couldn't really feel them, but they were kind of hidden. And, you know, it just starts and it would work. And that looked pretty in theory, uh, but the problem was, so, you know, if you have dexterity, issue, dexterity issues, if you have bigger fingers, it, you know, if you, if it's the dark, if it's in the dark and you can't really see it, it's not the best user experience having almost invisible buttons. Right? So over time now we have big clicky buttons and it, everybody loves it. Um, the other example is charging. When we started, we thought, oh, we'll be ahead of the car. But that was long before Apple and Samsung decided on induction charging. So we had induction charging. No one figured out where to place the charger. Like, there's the device, there's the charger. It's not charging. Like, yeah, it's wireless, but not remote. Like, you still have to put it on top of each other. So it was the biggest customer support issue we had. And then we simplified it. We decided to go for a USB and everybody loves it and because so easy. Also back in the day when, when we lost one of our chargers, it was very custom made. Like, oh, can you send me another charger? Like, I don't have that many chargers. So when he made one to one, so it was all these problems. 
And but we we were thinking from an engineering point of view, oh, this is so cool, you know, it's amazing tech. But then we realized actually it's quite inconvenient for the user. All they want is an easy way to charge. You know, you like even now most people charge their phones by plugging it into a wire, and that's it. And it's simple. And you know, and and often, and it's happened to me. I've used wireless charger. I hadn't left it on the right in the right alignment and the next day I wake up and the phone has no battery, right? So it's something very simple. It never happens with the wires. So basic things which seem so irrelevant, but were so significant in improving the customer experience. And that's what I've learned over the last 10 years is collect as much feedback as you can and do take it seriously. You know, try and see what the customers that are trying to tell. And often, you know, us as engineers, and I am one of them, always try to fit the best and the latest stack. Uh, but sometimes it, it's at the expense of the user's um, comfort and uh, convenience, and that should never be the case. So, so the goal, what we do today is fit the best and advanced stack inside that you can't even see, and it does an amazing job. But on the outside, it's super easy. You just take it out of the box, turn it on, you know, use it don't have to worry about anything. It's literally out, use, you're done. So, um, yeah, so that's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, you can't, that's yeah. great insight because you kind of said it really well in the sense the best tech and the latest tech is in the inside. It's basically kind of what Apple did in the sense of like, they tried to like make pretty computers and people were like, eh, I don't really want that. Or they tried different things. You're like, well, let's just make things faster and better and easier to see on the screen and do things where they're not, They've just noticed the experience. It's almost kind of like putting on or um, new glasses for the first time or getting your, your vision checked in the sense of like, it just makes sense. I mean, because we are confined to our bodies. Like we just can't, we can't change what, you know, millions of billions of years of evolution have slowly done. And we, and, and with tech and our mind, like it's a beautiful thing, but it's like our body can't keep up with our mind sometimes. So it's kind of like, how can our mind keep up? Yeah. Like, our body keep up or, or, or help our body. And so you, you, you put it really well in the sense that you understood. And then maybe that's why, you know, with futuristic tech, like back to the future where they were thinking about like skateboards that could fly. And like, that was, I think, I think now, I think it was like 2020 or 2025 is like, they showed it back in the, in the movie back then, like 20 or 30 years ago. And we haven't achieved that because I don't think, you know, there's going to be, there would be a lot of accidents. Um, <laughs> yeah. People would fall no, out. And yeah, and so it, it it goes around to the confines of what we're we're able to do now. Um, so Sam, thank you so much for articulating and going through um, even just like two user examples or like with fingers or with charging, like people wouldn't, you know, coming into product design and, and stuff like that, they wouldn't, they would just brush over like, oh yeah, people can figure it out versus like, no, like the majority of people still like, like what they like. And it's it's a hard adoption. It takes some time. So this part of the episode, and also why 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 fix what is not broken, right? Exactly. Why do, need, why, why do they need wireless charging when they are very happy with wireless charging? Why do we think that we need it? You know, um, exactly. yeah, yeah. I have my phone plugged in because I used to use wireless charging, and it didn't work as well as just plugging it in um, because it's exactly. just charging too. Like it's just it make and you know that it's charging. You basically, can see. And you yeah. remember that, oh, yeah, I plugged my phone in versus like, oh, I just set it there. I'm like, is it charging? Is it not? Um, exactly. Yeah. 
it's, it's, it's user ability. It's understanding users in a mass scale. Um, so this part of this episode is about you. Like, you know, why do you do what you do with work? You've kind of hinted on a few things, kind of going through things. And then what do you do as, you know, hobby and health wise to, um, to recharge, you know, to make sure that you're bringing your best self, um, into your work and, and why are you passionate about what you do? What I, what I do and why I do it is super easy because I love building stuff. I love sitting in the lab. I love, you know, tinkering electronics, plastics, silicon, working with our team to come up with new ideas, talking to doctors to figure out and patients to figure out what is it that we could do. It's just, that is so much fun. And, and that's always been fun, you know, whether it's in sexual health or ophthalmology or before like building stuff and the electronics behind it, which is what I studied. Um, and now a bit of mechanical that I get to learn from my colleagues. All that stuff is so fun. To me, that's, that's like playing, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a toy for me to play with. Like, uh, and, and. The time I was away, so the seven years I spent in consulting, I gained a lot of knowledge and I love the business that I learned, but I didn't get to play at all. I got to manage stuff, which wasn't the same. Yeah, I got to, I got to tell people, hey, you know, we should build it. But I couldn't say, let me build it. So I, I love that, you know, I've been lucky the last 10 years, I got to do so much of that. And that's just what I hope I can get to do for the next 10 years, at least. So that is the easy answer is why do I do what I do and why I never get bored and why I'm so passionate about it. And obviously the end result is the cherry on top where someone emails and says, you know what, this actually helped and this has changed my life. And, you know, I don't have pain anymore or I don't um, have dryness anymore. I can have a kid now. Like, you know, that's the, that's the thing which makes the whole piece worthwhile. But on the day-to-day basis, it's really playing. It's just tinkering and playing. And, and, I, and I love that. And I uh, feel so lucky I get to do that. Um, and then what do we do outside work? And outside work, I think for me, it's quite simple because um, we have a five-year-old. So, uh, and it's so fascinating to see a young human grow up um, and, and I had learned this from one of my child psychologist friend that kids build a million neural, new neural connections every second. I did not know that before. It's mind boggling to think a million neural connections happened in one second. And that happens every second. That is so insane. Um, so, so all, all my free time. Um, is doing stuff like, you know, whether it's uh, playing with his toys with him or going out, uh, exploring the city, going on, traveling, playing with Sam or, you know, going to watch some uh, random uh, movie in uh, a kid's movie in IMAX and, you know, like about the space and ocean. And it's all the things I love doing as a kid and I get to relive that. And, and it's just, it's so much fun because I want to do that. And it's like going on a water slide. Like uh, that one is for the kids, but I can do it just because of the, oh, I'm there for the kid, right? So uh, yeah, I get to do all those fun stuff and in my free time. 
I love that you're a kid at heart. I mean, it's it's very much like a Walt Disney kind of thing where like, you know what, I'm going to build it, but I'm also going to build it for other people to enjoy. And, and you hit upon something. So I knew about that too, the billion neuro connections. It's about the synapse firings and the neural networks. It, but you hit, and it kind of rolls up to what you, you've been building in the sense that you're building things underneath. You're building out the hardwiring of understanding things and understanding people and then just making it simple for them in the sense of the outer, let's have bigger buttons. Let's have a you know USB charge. Let's make things simple for them. But the underworkings of everything else that's going on, you're allowing experiences to happen. And that goes around to the customer experience of not just your, you know, not just baking a product, but you're also building the experience with the doctor and patient relationships with 20%. You're also helping the other 80% who to go out to help with understanding their own bodies and that in that experience in that sense. And then you're re relaying that to even helping your five-year-old um, and play and, and building those connections early on and building those experiences there. So you're, you have found a way to bridge experiences of human connection just adding a product in the mix to it or adding a physical location into it. You've, you've built a, a framework where you're like, you, I can visually, I can like physically touch this and it's making me feel this way. So Dr. Sam, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. And to all the Converge coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap. 